All right, so we are looking at the biblical value of trusting in the Lord. If you would, uh, find the uh, little prophet Habakkuk. He's, at, he's on page 1161 in my Bible, if that helps. But we are talking about uh, trusting in the Lord, and we're talking about this biblical value of just having faith in God, having faith in God's person, having faith in God's word. And it's our faith in his word and his person, and more specifically, in what we believe in response to the revelation of Jesus Christ as it is given to us in God's word that defines us as a people. It is our faith that defines us as a people. Now, had you turn to Habakkuk first uh, because of what we're getting ready to talk about, but Habakkuk lived during a time uh, when wickedness and violence uh, just seemed to be overpowering the righteous. It just seemed to be having free course throughout the land. And Habakkuk, being a godly man, being a man sensitive to... I did, dear. Sensitive to uh, righteousness. I mean, he was looking out at what was going on, and he was, from his perspective, can't be hard on the man, but from his perspective, he's wondering, where is God in all of this? Why does God appear to be so indifferent about the wickedness and the violence and the corruption that's going on in the land. So if you're there at Habakkuk, I want you to take a look at Habakkuk chapter 1. And let's read, uh, I'll read verses 2 through 4. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear? Even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save. Why dost thou show me iniquity and cause me to behold grievance? For spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention. Therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. For the wicked doth compass about the righteous. Therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound familiar? So he's lamenting. You know, what's going on, Lord? What's going on? Uh, He was confused. He couldn't understand why the ungodly seemed to be getting the upper hand while the righteous seemed to be powerless to do anything about it. In fact, uh, from Habakkuk's perspective, the righteous were being overpowered by the wicked. And so he's saying, why, Lord? Why? What's going on? Why? Now here's the thing. The Lord didn't give Habakkuk an explanation of why he was permitting this. Why wickedness was being allowed to have free course. You know, sometimes when we get explanations about things, they're not always encouraging or helpful. But the Lord gave Habakkuk what Habakkuk need and what we need, and that is a fresh revelation of God, a fresh perspective of God in matters like this. 
And that's what God provided Habakkuk. Uh, at times, uh, this is what God's people need. They need more, not so much an explanation, but what they, re- what they require is a revived perspective on things. A revived perspective about the Lord, a revived perspective on his righteous character, um, a revived perspective on, you know, everything there is about about, uh, the wickedness appearing to have the upper hand. God is uh, a sovereign God. He's still in control in spite of what our physical eyes might see. And God does have everything under control. Nothing is ever out of control as far as God is concerned. But sometimes we forget that. Sometimes we lose perspective as far as that's concerned. And so in Habakkuk chapter 2 and verse 2, we read, And the Lord answered me and said, so here's his answer, Write the vision and make it plain upon tables that he may run that readeth it. For the vision is yet for an appointed time, but at the end it shall speak and not lie. Though it tarry, wait for it, because it shall it will surely come, it will not tarry. So instead of an explanation, God gave to Habakkuk an exhortation. An exhortation. He said in verse 4, Behold, his soul which is lifted up is not upright in him, but the just shall live by what? Faith. See, that's the perspective. Faith. The lesson the prophet came to learn was that the life lived by faith doesn't live by explanations. The life lived by faith lives on the promises of God's word and that his word is based upon God's unchanging holy character. You get off of that, then you're going to end up dealing with some issues in your mind, in your heart. Numbers 23:19 says, "God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken, shall he not make it good? Yeah, what God says, God's going to do. You can count on that. You can bank on that. Hebrews 6.17 says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise, that you and me, the immutability of his counsel, that means it's rock solid, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. You know, do you know who that hope is? Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's our hope. Titus 1-2, in hope of eternal life, which God that cannot lie promised before the world began. That's our hope. That's our promise. And that's sealed by the blood, the innocent blood of Jesus Christ. Now, if it were possible that God could lie, of which men claim he does all the time, then we're essentially wasting our time. So we might as well just put this book on a shelf and just go on our merry way, right? 
but God does not lie. God does not lie. Three times in the New Testament we see this phrase that found in Habakkuk in Romans 1.17 For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith as it is written that just shall live by faith. So in the epistle to the Romans the emphasis is stressed upon the just, the righteous. Galatians 3.11 says um, But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. Here the emphasis is uh, living by faith. And then Hebrews 10.38, Now the just shall live by faith, but if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure in him. Finally, in Hebrews we observe that the emphasis concerning the faith is shall live. So, as I said before, this biblical value of faith is fundamental. It's it's the rock. It's the foundation of everything that we are as a people. It's the foundational principle. Without faith, it's impossible to what? Please God. Right? It's fundamental. It's fundamental. So that's why I've been focusing on this biblical value of trusting in the Lord. And those of us who trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, there are certain expectations that God's word tells us, promises us, that we will know, that we will experience by trusting in the Lord with all of our hearts. And even though we might live in a time that Habakkuk lived in, a time of violence and wickedness, we also can have that same faith that God is in control and that in the end, we're on the winning team. Whether it looks like we are not. We are on the inning, on the winning team. So far, we've looked at um, those of us who trust in the Lord with all of our hearts. We can we're guaranteed guidance. Uh, though we all have down times, if you trust in the Lord with all your heart, we're going to experience happiness more so than the other folks. We'll experience happiness not only in this life, but boy, will we experience it in the next. Prosperity, I went through a whole series on prosperity. Those who trust the Lord with all thine heart, and they lean not to their own understanding, and they, they steward their material goods according to biblical principles, then you will prosper, yes, materially, but you're all, the real prosperity comes you'll prosper spiritually. Um, isn't that weird? If you mishandle your material goods, more than likely you will not prosper spiritually. They're, they're connected. Now what I want to talk about is the fourth one. Those of us, those folks who trust in the Lord with all their heart, uh, they can experience repeated deliverance and enduring safety being placed out of harm's reach. So deliverance and safety. Deliverance and safety. 
And the key verse that I'm going to, you might as well go there, is Proverbs 11, 8 through 9. Proverbs 11, 8 through 9. And this is an ostrich, in case you can't tell. Okay? Yes, ma'am. So, um, well, somebody said it looked like a tree. Okay, good. All right. So, uh, Proverbs 11, 8 through 9 says, The righteous is delivered out of trouble, and the wicked cometh in his stead. A hypocrite with his mouth destroyeth his neighbor, but through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Now, the word deliver means, you know, delivered out of trouble. It can, it can mean removed out of. It can mean rescued from. It can also mean to be kept safe from or kept from something that can prove harmful or be a source of trouble. So deliverer has a, has a broad, broad meaning. Uh, the, tr- the word trouble uh, speaks of those things that cause distress or anxiety or finding yourself in a tight spot or an unfavorable position Um, it also refers to uh, finding yourself in a situation that is risky or contrary to one's purposes or walk with the Lord or hazardous You know, we live in an environment that is uh, hostile uh, to our faith in Jesus Christ. And if you desire to follow him in accordance, if you want to be his disciple, chances are you're going to meet with opposition. In fact, if you're serious about your walk with the Lord, you will meet with opposition. You will meet with opposition. 1 Peter 4 4 says, Wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot speaking evil of you. I, you know, I, I had a typical teenage upbringing. I was pretty wild. I, you know, caused a lot of grief to my parents. You know, I, I was a drinker and a smoker. I did all that stuff. And then when I. A young man at uh, TWA shared the Lord, shared the gospel with me, and I received the gospel. And you know, God opened my eyes. He came in and dwelt in my heart. He started opening my eyes. I started reading that Bible that at one time I spurned. So I was starting to have changes take place, and my buddies couldn't figure out what in the world was going on. And it wasn't me that left my buddies. It was my buddies that left me. Because they thought I was, they thought I was weird, strange, and the world does look at us as though we are strange or we are peculiar. They even look at us as the source of all their trouble. It's all our fault. It's all our fault. I mean, this recent thing with uh, the abortion rights. Who were they targeting as the bad guys? Yeah, us who wanted to preserve life, not destroy it, but yet we're the bad guys in the situation. We're the ones that got attacked. When Paul was preaching the gospel, he was causing quite a stir in Acts 17.6. And when they found him them not, they drew Jason and certain brethren unto the rulers of the city, crying, 
These that have turned the world upside down are come hither also. Well, the world was already upside down. It's just that Paul in the gospel was turning everything upside upside right. Is that even right side up? There you go. But in their eyes, right, the bowl was already turned upside down. In their eyes, that's the way it should have been. But that's just the way the world looks at things. But look again at Proverbs 11.9. To me, this is the key of our deliverance. And you're going to understand. There's more to deliverance than what meets the eye. Proverbs 11.9. What does it say there at the very end? But through what? Knowledge. But through knowledge shall the just be delivered. But through knowledge the just shall be delivered. The deliverance of the righteous out of, a tr- uh, out of trouble occurs because the righteous or just man knows better. Now why does the righteous and just man know better? Yeah, exactly. Because he goes to God's word and finds out what's up. What does God's word have to say about this or that? See, he goes to God's word for his wisdom and his understanding and his knowledge. And it's that knowledge of what does God's word has to say about this that really does deliver us out of a lot of trouble. Now, does this mean that um, we won't experience persecution? We're going to experience persecution. 2 Timothy 3.12 Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Now, this persecution doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be burned at the stake. It could be that your, your co-workers may not want to have much to do with you. It could be your own family may not want to have much to do with you. You know? That's a form of persecution. And we might as well recognize the fact that it's just going to happen. It's not going to change. Paul goes on to say in 2 Timothy 3.13, that very next verse, but evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. So it's, it, it's always going to be there. It's never going to go away. It's never going to go away. So you might as well get used to the fact that if you want to live godly in Jesus, expect opposition. Uh, the crucial point, of course, is this, is if you are being mistreated, make sure you're being mistreated for Christ's sake. Right? And not because you're a knucklehead. That's, that's the key. That's the key. We'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. So even though we might experience adverse reactions due to our faith, we have a greater deliverance in front of us. A greater deliverance in front of us. We've got a bright future. I don't care how gloomy your today is, we have a bright, bright future. We really do. 
So through knowledge shall the just be delivered. Now this is interesting to me. You see, the foolish man may know better. The foolish man may know better. But the problem with the foolish man is that they do not do better. That's what makes, it, that's what makes you a fool. You know the right thing to do, but you don't do that right thing. And that's what really makes you a fool. It's not because you're mentally deficient. Right? If anything, you're morally deficient. (laughs) But it doesn't make you mentally deficient. A foolish man knows better, but they do not do better. And so knowing better, but refusing to act upon what they know to do, which is right, they end up getting into trouble. Don't ask me to repeat that. But that's, that's why, that's most of the time, that's why folks get into trouble. Turn to Proverbs chapter 1. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 29. If you've raised teenagers, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I was a teenager, been there, done that. Proverbs 129, for that they hated knowledge, did not choose the fear of the Lord, they would none of my counsel, they despised all my, all my reproof. Alright, so verse 31, therefore shall they eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own devices. They hated knowledge, right? They didn't want to hear it. God's wisdom is detestable to them. I, I don't want to hear it. Don't, t- don't talk to me about God. Did not choose. It boils down to a choice. It boils down to a choice. Would none. That's an unwillingness on their part to submit to wisdom, to consent to just common sense. And they despised. They held God's wisdom in contempt. I dealt with a young man that, that that was him all the way down the line. They didn't want anything to do with it. Don't preach to me. I don't want to hear it. So I ended up living a life of trouble. Almost ended up in prison. What can you do in a situation like that? Not much. I mean, you can talk to them until you're blue in the face, but if they're determined in their heart, I'm going to go my own way, come what may, there's really not a whole lot you can do. Yeah. And we see that spiritual principle played out time and time again. I mean, the children of Israel, what a, what a classic example. Right? God tells them time and time and time again, repent, repent, return, turn, repent, repent. Why would you perish? Repent, turn, turn. They did and then they didn't. They did and then they didn't. Right? And, uh, you know, sometimes what we forget when we read through the Bible, you know, because it happens so quickly... Sometimes God dealt with his own people for like 430 years to try to get them to turn. So don't tell me God's not a long-suffering God. 430 years in some situations. It 
So if somebody refuses to sound wisdom, persists in their sinful ways, there's really not a whole lot you can do. Now the person who does heed God's wisdom, and this is who I want to talk about, and this is where the ostrich comes in. I want to talk about what the Bible refers to as a prudent man. Not a prudish man. <laughs> because that's what the, you know, when the world, world likes to name call, that's what they call a prudent man. They call him a prudish man. A prudent man is not a prudish man. A prudent man is someone who is sensible, somebody who's level-headed, somebody who's got his head screwed on straight. All right? And that applies to you gals, too. In fact, sometimes you gals seem to be more level-headed than than us guys at times. Well, I'm just saying. But this is a person who shows good judgment. Is cautious. Here's a big word. Circumspect. That's a Bible word. Proverbs 14.15 says, The simple believeth every word... But the prudent man looketh looketh well to his going. A prudent man is a cautious man. He's a sensible person. He's not prone to accept everything that comes down the pipe at face value. Alright? They don't allow themselves to get carried along and, and become influenced by the tide of public opinion. We see a lot of that today. People do not take time to find out the truth. There are some folks that will simply believe anything they hear and read. I I remember when I was uh, about six or seven years old, uh, we went to California on a vacation, and I think we ended up in one of those places that had some sort of history with a gold rush in 1849. So we went into one of those tourist shops, has all those knickknacks, and there, there in this glass case displayed for all to see were these little cotton bags full of gold nuggets. And you could purchase a little cotton bag full of gold nuggets for 25 cents. And I begged my dad, Dad, buy me one, buy me one. And he said, oh, okay. So he bought me a bag of gold nuggets for 25 cents, and I thought, oh man, this is great. Well, after a while, I noticed a peculiar thing about these little gold nuggets. The gold was beginning to chip off, and what those little stones actually were were that, that, that white limestone that you see on gravel paths. I said, well, some unscrupulous person spray-painted these stones to make them look like gold nuggets. How dare they? Why? Well, I, I learned an important lesson then. Not all that glitters is gold, right? Not all that glitters is... It's the same thing, you know, with, with what's going on here, guys. Not everything that glitters is gold. Not everything that somebody says is necessarily true. Fool's gold. You know, so many of us, we take things on face value. It looks right, so it must be right. 
That's not being prudent. That's not being prudent. Consider the source. Because guess what? People lie. (gasps) No, yeah. Yeah, they do. And not everything is as it first appears. But he loves me. He says he loves me. But why? Why does he love you? Why does she love you? Proverbs 18.13 says, He that answereth a matter before he heareth it, it is folly and shame unto him. You've heard that old saying, there's more, to, there's more than one side to a story. Check the sides. <laughs> Check out those, those, those side stories. It's naive of you to take anything on face value. That's, that's what leads you into trouble. Yeah, they studied. They checked it out. They didn't take what just Paul said. They checked it out. And I, I tell you to do the same thing. You know, don't take what I'm telling you from... You know, just because I'm standing up here behind this wooden pulpit doesn't necessarily mean that I always get it right. If I'm wrong, do me a, 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 a favor and let me know. Because I certainly don't want to be in error or lead anybody into error. So often people are fueled by lies and they go pedal to the metal into destructive ways. Proverbs 18.15 says, The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge, and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. Check the source. Do your homework. Make sure the information you're receiving is accurate and unbiased. Right? I mean, choose to err on the side of caution. Don't swallow hook, line, and sinker everything that's coming down the pipe. I've never swallowed anything. (laughs) That sounds painful. But it is painful. When you find out, when you've been led astray, that's very painful. And you know what? At times, to get at the truth might seem like a lot of trouble. Because it is. It takes, it takes effort. But let me tell you, that kind of trouble will keep you out of trouble. Take the trouble to find out what's going on. Another char- characteristic of a prudent man that delivers him from trouble is that he is, um, I said, circumspect. That word sec- circumspect means you're vigilant. You're vigilant. You're You're, you're cautious. Uh, when you see trouble, you just don't dive right into it. <laughs> right? You, you try to avoid it. You try to avoid it. Proverbs 22.3 says, A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself. But the simple pass on and are punished. Proverbs 17, 27.12, very similar. A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are, and are punished. You know, it's not, it's not a cowardly act to avoid trouble. In fact, that's, that's wise. That's wise. Um, the Apostle Paul in the church of Ephesus, Ephesus, he says in Ephesians 5, 15-17, See then that you walk circumspectly, 
vigilantly, with your eyes wide open, not as fools but as wise, redeeming the time. Why? Because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. That's where your knowledge is. What is God's will in this? What does God say about this? Colossians 4, 5, he says, Walk in wisdom toward them that are without redeeming the time. You know, for us who trust in the Lord, for us who have God's wisdom available to us, there's no excuse for us to go blundering around this world like we're clueless, with, like an ostrich with our head stuck in the ground. But sadly, that's where a lot of Christians exist. They exist with their head in the ground. And you know what happens? Somebody comes behind and boop. Right? Get your head out of the sand. Put your head out of the sand. Put your nose in the book. A lot of young people are this way. They refuse to listen to parents. They refuse to listen to the older folks that have been there and done that. They've had their tail feathers kicked. Listen to them. Listen to what they have to say. Don't walk around thinking... You know everything at the, at, the, at the ripe old age of 17 or 21 or even 65. That's a dangerous... Huh? The smarter your parents get, the older you become. Yeah. Like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a dangerous, a dangerous tactic is to, is to be this type of person. Man, keep your eyes open. If you see if you see something going on, man, don't don't hang out. You remember when Joseph was in Potiphar's house and Potiphar's wife was trying to seduce Joseph? Right? And when she finally got him in the house by himself and pretty much, you know, have him backed in the corner. What did Joseph do? Yeah, he ran. He didn't stick around. He didn't hang around. He ran. Was that cowardly? No, that was prudent. That was smart. Uh, Joseph didn't want to sin against his God, and he didn't want to sin against his earthly master, Potiphar. So he, he booked it. He got out of there. But you know what a simple person would do? They'd stay there. They'd stay there. And eventually, you know what would happen to that simple person? Yeah. They'd give in to that seduction. And they'd find themselves in trouble. But we do it all the time. We do it all the time. We put ourselves in situations and there's that little voice in us saying, Hey, you shouldn't be here. Oh, that's all right. I can handle it. Until you fall on your face. <laughs> you know, if there were a book in the Bible that I would recommend to a young person who got saved, I mean, like at the age of 12, it would be the book of Proverbs. I would say you, would, you, you read the book of Proverbs for the next 10 years of your life. You become an expert 
in the book of Proverbs for the next 10 years of your, of your life. Because that will help you avoid a lot of these situations that young people and even old people get themselves in trouble with. It warns you about certain individuals. It gives you the characteristics of certain individuals that you want to hook up with and those you don't want to hook up with. So Joseph ran. What happened to Joseph? He was imprisoned, wasn't he? Joseph was imprisoned. Well, wait a minute. How did... uh, how is that God's deliverance? Right? How is that God's deliverance that he ended up in, in, in prison? Well, let me tell you. God didn't permit Potiphar to execute Joseph. Because I looked this up. The punishment for adultery and rape and attempted rape is death. Pretty gruesome death. You would be burned and then have your genitalia cut off. That's pretty severe. Which order? Well, I... We should bring that back. Oh! Hang on, hon. <laughs> Goodness. Yeah, I think we... What are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> No, instead, Potiphar put Joseph in prison. And what happened to Joseph? Long story short, he became Potiphar's boss. Didn't he? He became Potiphar's boss. Um, John 7.24 says, Judge not according to appearance, but judge righteous judgment. You know, sometimes God will deliver his own from trouble into what may appear to be more trouble, but in actuality, it's nothing more than a stepping stone to greater blessing. Just like in Joseph's place. So if you find yourself in trouble and God delivers you out of the trouble into a deeper trouble... Don't look at it as though, okay, well, uh, no, look at it as, as God's still working. He's still working. And there's going to be greater blessing ahead. But it all depends on what? Your heart attitude. Okay, Lord, I don't understand. I mean, I've, I've had those experiences. Lord, I don't understand what's going on. You know, here it was this way, and then now here I am this way. And you know what's happened? After all was said and done, not only did I learn something, but I was even ushered into a greater blessing. You trust in the Lord with all thine heart, and lean not unto thine own other exam- lean not unto thine own understanding. <laughs> Sometimes my tongue gets in the way. Paul was the same way. You know, Paul was preaching his heart out in Damascus. The Jews didn't like Paul preaching his heart out, preaching the gospel in Damascus. So the Jews are going to to kill Paul. So what happens? So they put Paul in a basket and lower him down the wall and, and, and set, set him free. But was that the end of it for Paul? No. 
No, Paul, man, read the life of Paul. I mean, that man was beat, he was imprisoned, he was shipwrecked. There was even a time he was stoned, possibly passed away, came back to life. Right? But God had a plan for Paul. God had a plan for Paul. That was, that was Paul's portion in this whole thing. And because Paul went through all of that, we've got the epistle to the Romans and 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. We've got most of our New Testament because of what Paul went through. Because of what Paul went through. And in the end, Paul was martyred. But is that the end of Paul? For I am now ready to be offered, and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight, I have finished my course, I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. No, that's not the end of Paul. That's not the end of us either. You know, sometimes I think we have the erroneous idea that just because I'm a Christian that I shouldn't have hard times. Just because I've turned my life over to Jesus Christ, then, you know, it ought to be be a bed of roses. No, it doesn't always work out that way. Now, there are some that, yeah, they may live like that. But I think that's very rare. You know, I just quoted that yea and all that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. I read the verse after it. Let me read the verse before that. uh, 2 Timothy 3.10 But thou hast fully known my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, charity, patience, persecutions, afflictions, which came unto me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yeah, we're going to have hard times. But out of them all the Lord will deliver us. We have that promise. For those who trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. Again, like I said, if you do suffer trouble, you do suffer persecution, make sure you're, you're, you're suffering for the right reason. Not because you're a knucklehead. 1 Peter 2.20 For what glory is it if when ye be buffeted for your faults ye shall take it patiently? But if when ye do well and suffer for it ye take it patiently, this is acceptable with God. For even hereunto were ye called. You notice that, guys? We are called onto this stuff. Ye. Because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. You realize that there's nothing that happens to you and me that Jesus hasn't already blazed the trail for us? He's already been there ahead of us? To me, that's a comfort. To me, that's a comfort. To know that Jesus has already gone ahead and blazed the trail through the trouble the persecution, the opposition that I'm facing. So what do I do? I look to him. 
to lead me through it. Second, being in the will of God is not always the safest place. I've heard people preach that. I don't think that's true. (laughs) It's the best place. It may not be the safest place, but it's the best place to be. It's the best place to be. 2 Thessalonians 3, uh, 1, Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may have free course and be glorified, even as it is with you, and that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. For all men have not faith, but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. It's the best place to be. Not always the easiest, but it's the best place to be. You know, sometimes God may not choose to deliver his people from physical danger and physical harm. When I went to India, I met several men and women who endured physical harm for their faith in Christ. God didn't always deliver from that kind of harm. But we have a greater deliverance. And I asked some of these folks, what gave you the courage? And it was that very thing. Because they knew that if they died, they would be with the Lord in heaven. And some of us, we get upset when we have a bad hair day. Second Corinthians 4.16 says, For which cause we faint not, but though our outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. You know something else about going through all of these hard times? There's a greater deliverance going on inside. Because we are being delivered from the influence of that fleshly old man as we look to the Lord to have that new man strengthened, that inner man strengthened. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Like I said, our, t- our today may look dark, but our tomorrow is bright. It's bright. Remember the story of um, Martha and Mary when uh, their brother died? And when Jesus showed up, doesn't it sound like, I don't know, to me, doesn't it sound like that Martha kind of got on Jesus' case a little bit? Lord, if you would have been here, if only you would have been here. I think Mary also had a little bit of that in her, in her own heart. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you? Yeah, when things are going great. 
But how about when your health is declining? Or how about when you don't know when your next, how you're going to pay your bills? My wife, bless her heart, she here? Okay. I want to make sure you're in here. She knows what to say. Yeah. So I don't, so I'm not misquoted. Did you hear what your husband said? Uh, she likes to tell people that when she dies, she wants to be buried with a fork in her hand. You ever heard her tell you that? And when folks look at her like she's some kind of nut, a look she often gets, by the way, she says to them by explanation, she says, when you are in a restaurant and you have finished your meal, what does the server ask you? What often follows a meal? Dessert. Right? Dessert. So when people see me lying there in that coffin, I want that fork to remind them that there is something great to look for after death. She says, some meals are not always to our liking, just like life. But what we are promised that follows this life is so much better. It's like dessert. So I want to be buried with a fork because I want people to know that I am enjoying my dessert with the Lord in heaven. I thought, yeah, that's pretty good. That's pretty good. <laughs> Don't allow the persecutions and hardships and setbacks that occur in your trusting in the Lord steal that fork from you. Right? Don't allow them to take that fork out of your hand. Uh, Proverbs 22.3 A prudent man foreseeth the evil and hideth himself, but the simple pass on and are punished. When I read that, (laughs) when I'm thinking of the simple or the foolhardy person, I'm thinking of those jokers that say, Here, hold my beer. And then what do they do? Yeah, they go off and do something stupid. You know, trying to prove a point or show off to their buddies. No, a prudent man wouldn't do that. A prudent man wouldn't do that. It's not cowardly. It's not cowardly to avoid trouble. It's not cowardly to do that. It's also not a lack of faith. That's, that's something else. Well, you don't have enough faith in God. What? I'm not going to step off the edge of this three-story building just to prove my faith. Some, you know, God gave us a brain to work with here. He sure didn't, did he? When the, when the devil said, hey, leap off of this, he sure didn't, did he? Proverbs 18.15 The heart of the prudent getteth knowledge and the ear of the wise seeketh knowledge. You know, wisdom and knowledge is an accumulative process. It's an accumulative process. 2 Timothy 2.15 Study to show thyself approved unto God. Workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Proverbs 4, 5 through 7. Get wisdom, get understanding, forget it not. Neither decline from the words of my mouth, forsake her not, and she shall preserve thee. Love her, and she shall keep thee. Wisdom is the principal thing, therefore, get wisdom with all thy getting, get understanding. 
You know, the wisdom and the knowledge uh, that uh, the Bible's talking about, it's not going to come to you like a flash out of the sky, folks. You know, God's not going to take a big old spiritual funnel, stick it in your ear, and just dump wisdom in your ear and fill your head up. It doesn't work that way. It comes from reading and attending and meditating and, yes, thinking, studying, cross-referencing, memorizing. And at my age, that's a real challenge. (laughs) 1 Timothy 4.13, Till I come, give attendance to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. You know, it's not unreasonable for us to believe that God works through our reasoning. If he didn't, if God didn't work through our reasoning, then why do we have passages like Philippians 3.15, Let us therefore as many be perfect, be thus minded. And if anything ye be otherwise minded, God shall reveal even this unto you. Or, finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just. And he goes and goes and goes and he says, think upon these things. Romans 12.1, he says, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable by God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by What? The renewing of your mind. This is, you know, he he works through our reason, through our mind. So that's why we're encouraged to read his word and store his word. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. He works through our reason and through our minds. Jim Aleph in his book led by the Spirit he talks about this and what he calls it he calls it sanctified reasoning I love that sanctified reasoning we are allowing Jesus Christ to take captive of our thoughts we are sanctifying the Lord in our hearts we are sanctifying our mind with the word of God so that God can reason with us through his reason in the word of God and the more our minds are sanctified to God's word the more God is able to reason with us we get our head out of the sand we become circumspect and we experience this deliverance and this safety that he promises but you have to sanctify your mind. You've got to find out what God has to say on the subject in order for God to lead you and guide you. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is we're so used to reasoning with that old nature's reason. Right? Right? That's our fallback. That's our what do they call that in, in computer language? Failsafe. Fail, uh, failsafe, or uh, n- no? There's another word for it. Oh well, we fall back on that old reasoning. Remember the two wisdoms we talked about in the book of James? Yeah, that's what we do. We uh, we reset our minds back to that old wisdom. 
and that's going to cause nothing but trouble. No, what we need is the, the renewing of our minds. We need to have a sanctified mind. Proverbs 14.8 The wisdom of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of fools is deceit. Proverbs 30 verse 5 Every word of God is pure. He is a shield unto them that put their trust in him. So we need to renew our minds. We need to stop operating under the old mind programming (laughs) and get our, our new minds programmed by God's word. Am I making any sense? Is this making any sense? See, the, pro, the prudent man, he seeks moral guidance from God's word. He devotes a lifetime seeking God's wisdom like treasure. He sanctifies his mind by God's word. And it is this wisdom and this understanding and this knowledge that he obtains and accumulates and allows to renew his mind that, 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 that gets him to his head out of the sand sees the trouble and like a prudent man avoids that trouble and in that way we can know the deliverance and the safety and we certainly know of that great eternal deliverance and where do we learn about that yeah right here in the manual right here in the manual okay I'm going to have to stop there any questions or comments too bad I don't want to hear it I'm just kidding (laughs) any questions or comments any insights you know you were talking about establishing right not establishing establishing and on that that is to root up to shore up to stand there and flourish your facts yeah not to necessarily establish that's part of it yeah he's holding yeah. That's what it's all about. Yeah, that's the superstructure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. All right. So let's go ahead and um, thank you, James. Let's go ahead and have a word of prayer. And um, I'm going to pick on somebody. I'm going to pick on uh, Matt again. Matthew, would you mind closing us out in prayer? Uh,